worry about you. People yeah. are so worried about what other people think. And that's one of my big things. I always say, so what? <laughs> what bill are they paying of yours? Because if you want to start paying my bills, then I'm going to worry about what you think about me. Until then, you can keep all your comments. I don't care. Welcome to the Make Something Where You Are podcast. I am your host, Jeff Houghton in Springfield, Missouri. What is this podcast? Well, a couple of years ago, I created a video called Make Something Where You Are. This kind of poetic, uh, inspiring video that you don't have to be on a coast or in a big city to pursue your dreams. I made that video. I put it out with much trepidation because it was my heart. I'm used to putting out comedy and people don't like it. I'm like, yeah, I didn't really care. It's comedy. I put that out and I'm like, oh boy, if you don't like it, that's going to hurt me deep down. But people did like it. People did respond really well. And a lot of people feel really passionately about the same thing. And so I was like, I got to make this into something more than just a one-off video. I had a lot of ideas. And then finally I was like, a podcast. That's what I'll do. I'll start with that. We'll start there. And then I was like, man, this feels like a mountain as well. And then my friend Spencer said, hey, you know what you should do? You should just start it and do like an eight or nine episode season and call that good. So that's what I did. And I started it. And it turned out to be way more work than I thought it was going to be. But here we are. We did it. You're listening. So today I'm interviewing three-time Olympic medal winning sprinter Carmelita Jetter. I'm not a sprinter, but I did create a late night talk show called The Mystery Hour here in Springfield, Missouri, first to just a live audience in 2006, then to a TV audience beginning in 2012. We're now in 17 markets around the country, and I'm passionate that you can do cool things in non-big cities and non-coasts. So I started this podcast to seek out people doing amazing things in surprising places, right? It all started with this video. I got a good response to the video. And uh, I thought I'd start this whole thing, season one, episode one of the Make Something Where You Are podcast with the original video. It's like two and a half minutes. You can handle it. Here we go. Here's the original video. Maybe where you are isn't who you are. Maybe you can be somewhere in between or in the middle or unexpected and chase the thing you're kind of afraid to say out loud. Psst called a dream and it's okay to acknowledge it. You can make something where you are. We believe this fallacy that there are places for dreamers and it's probably far away from where you are now so you need to go to there to meet who you're supposed to be but maybe there is here and who you can be is already who you are. Maybe that part of you is just hiding and it's just behind the drapes and if you look real close you can see some cute little toes sticking out. Because maybe that fallacy is bullshit. Shipbuilders, deep sea fishermen, Sally the seashell saleswoman need to be on the coast to pursue their dreams. But not everybody does. The idea that a phone call to U-Haul is the permission you need to get started is wrong. Maybe you don't need permission. Maybe you have permission. Maybe I'm giving you permission. Yeah, I'm giving you permission. And I'm on the internet, so that's worth something. You can make something where you are. Because maybe the distance between you and an ocean need not represent the distance between you and creating something amazing. Or maybe you're on a coast, or you're in a big city, or you're in the vicinity and you're full of timidity, but you feel like you're drowning in anonymity. This is also for you. You don't need to listen to that quiet, deceitful voice that whispers that you're nothing more than the sum of your insecurities. That's fundamentally flawed thinking because there's no horizon line between where you end and the sky begins. Yes, it's harder, and yes, it makes less sense to be in a place where your dreams reach higher than the buildings in your eyeline, but the byline of your skyline says written by you. You can make something where you are. Start making it and suck at it. Well, suck at it and think that you're great at it, but then look back and realize that you sucked at it. But enough time has passed that you truly are great at it now. I'm in a mid-sized city in the Midwest, trying to make something happen that shouldn't, a late night talk show. I'm trying to make a real unicorn out of a Shetland pony and a paper towel roll, but why not give it a shot? Why not? Listen, I'm not trying to be an astronaut. I just have a goal situated right outside of practicality where dreams belong. You don't have to wait for perfection before you start. Start while the kids are sleeping. Jot notes while the boss isn't looking. Talk to yourself in the car. Start kind of believing it, then say it out loud and listen to your friends tell you that you're not crazy. Soon you'll be carrying secret smiles behind closed doors because you've begun to realize that you have all the grit and perseverance and moxie that you need to start something that changes. You. Because maybe those maybes are yeses. And maybe, just maybe, you can make something where you are. Ugh. 
<laughs> that felt sincere. Inspiring, right? Yeah? You ready to go? All right. Well, if you want some more inspiration, you should listen to this episode featuring an extremely inspiring person. But let's start with some inspiring sponsors. Up first, the 1906 Gents. It's Springfield's own custom design wood shop. The 1906 Gents offering custom furniture and build outs for your home or office and more. The 1906 Gents will work with you to create one-of-a-kind, unique quality wood pieces that will stand for generations. The 1906 Gents offers a wide range of woodworking and design services in addition to their own line of furniture and home decor. The 1906 Gents, we build the things you make memories around. I, I like them. They've made stuff for me. It's great. All right. Up next, also brought to you by The Coffee Ethic. The Coffee Ethic has always lived by the simple principle of cup, people, earth. Dedicated to the art and science of brewing, The Coffee Ethic simply knows how to create a great cup of coffee. Now offering a subscription service, you can get their coffee shop coffee delivered right to your door each month. Learn more at thecoffeeethic.com and type in the promo code Make Something at checkout for a 15% discount on your subscription. Let's get started, shall we? Our guest today is Carmelita Jetter. I interviewed her for a magazine article I wrote. I had her on the Mystery Hour, and now this. She's nicknamed the fastest woman alive. She has three of the top 10 times in the 100-meter dash all time. She won a gold, silver, and bronze in the 2012 London Olympics, and she fits the mold of make something where you are perfectly because she was a lightly recruited high school athlete going to the small D2 school of California State University, Dominguez Hills. And even after a good career there, the Olympics seemed far off, but she kept plugging away. She's super inspiring. We sat down in a conference room in my office building to do the interview. She had just come from speaking somewhere else and took the time to talk with me. So here you go. Please enjoy Carmelita Jetter. So where'd you grow up? I grew up in Gardena, California, but I also grew up in Compton, California, because my grandmother lived in Compton. Okay. And then my mom lived in Los Angeles. So I always have to represent all three of the places that I grew up in. Yeah. Because each place you know, taught me different things yeah. and, and, and molded my personality. So I just can't claim one city. Yeah. I have to claim all three of them. What's the, what different aspects of each of those do you like? Um, well, Gardena was more middle class. So the aspect of there was, you know, I spoke a little different. Um, I behaved a little different. Mm -hmm. And Los Angeles, where my mother lived, it was uh, rough. Yeah. So, you know, it was like playing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So when I went to my mom's house, of course, I can't speak proper because then the kids are going to want to beat me up. So yeah. you got to change, you know, how you speak and your mindset has to be a little different. And my grandmother's house in Compton, it was just, you know, grandma's house. That's the first place that I rode on a horse, you know. And yeah. so every place was just different. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh and then were you athletic from an early age? Yes, I was a uh, very athletic. Um, I played around in the street, played football, played basketball. So, but I never was a kid that was on teams. Like nowadays, how people put their kids in like soccer and, right. and teams. I was never on a team as a kid. I didn't start being on teams until I was in the sixth grade at my um junior high school. Yeah. So, you know, growing up, I just played in the streets or, you know, played around the neighborhood. Yeah. I think about that a lot because I have kids. I have mm -hmm. like a six-year-old and a two-year-old. And that was my experience. It's more just like, you just go play. And, but like, now I'm like, oh no, I'm missing their opportunity. They got to be in this and this and this. Well, this. I think a lot of just the world is a little different now Yeah. Um, to where you, you really probably want to put your kids more in something like a team and supposed to them playing out in the street. It's not, you know, the neighborhoods aren't, and I don't care where you live, it's not the same as yeah. it used to be where everybody's kid used to be outside. And, right. and, and, you know, anyone could tell you 
if you were doing something bad to stop and you would listen. But nowadays, yeah. you know, it's it's not that type of situation. You know, you talk to someone else's kid, they're going to tell on you and and yeah. then that mom's coming and she's mad at you for talking <laughs> to her kid. So it's just a different um a different time now to where, yeah. you know, now you have to put your kids in sports just yeah. to keep them safe and occupied. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. I was even thinking about like if I didn't have my like, let's say I was like, you know what, screw that. I'm not having, my kid's going to be great, but he's not going to do all that. The kids aren't in the neighborhood. They're doing activities. Right, exactly. <laughs> so um, so when you look back now, are there aspects, like you didn't think of at the time necessarily, uh, or maybe your parents didn't think of at the time, but like you looking back now, you're like, oh yeah, I really was always determined or like I would always see things through all the way. The end or. Yeah, I'm going to say I was always competitive. Yeah. I was very competitive and very argumentative. I always yeah. argued. I, I loved arguing. My dad said I should have been on the debate team or I should have ran for politics or something yeah. because I loved to argue. I don't know why I loved to argue, <laughs> but I did. Like the sport of it? Just everything about it. And I yeah. always wanted to win. So it was, it's really like no different. Like, being competitive on the track and being competitive now as a coach, all of those things that I did as a child, it just grew into me. It's my personality. It's, it's yeah. in me. So I'm extremely competitive and very, I will argue you down, especially Still. if I know you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if you don't know it. Yeah, I'm like, no, you're wrong. So. <laughs> so. Nothing's, nothing's really changed. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. We don't we don't change all that much. Like, we don't. We really don't. Now I know when to argue and when not to argue. If yes. anything, I've learned that that some things not even worth it. So some things you just take five plus five is twelve. You're so right. It is twelve. It's twelve. I win by not being engaged with you on this. And, you know, I'm like I'm not even going to argue with you. You're right. It's twelve. So so you know some things you just you just take the higher road. But some fights are you have to fight. And yeah. then some, you're just like, it's not even worth it. So yeah. I pick and choose my battles a little more now. As a yeah. kid, I, I didn't pick and choose. I fought all the time. <laughs> but now I pick and choose. I'm like, ah, it's not worth it. But you probably need some of that. Like, like I think like for me starting out with like comedy stuff, I've heard other comedians say this, that you have to have irrational confidence starting out. You have to be like, this is going great, even if everything is telling <laughs> going you it's bad. not. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's true. <laughs> you have to like irrationally mm -hmm. think that, and so like, I can see the same being true in that way. That like, you're like, you know what? I want to, I want to be a uh, world class sprinter, and whether or not your times say that yet, you have to like believe it, right? You have to believe it. Um, I believed that I was going to be in the Olympics. I believed all of these things. And when I'm talking to my athletes or if I'm even doing a motivational speech, I tell people, you can't just say it. Like, yeah. you have to believe it when you say it. And it, yeah. and, and, and it has to sit in your soul when you say it. If it doesn't, you're just talking. Yeah. So how, how, what about someone who has trouble getting to that place or like, I want to believe it. I don't think I do yet. Then it's not a goal that they really want. Yeah, find one where you can. You gotta. You have to find a goal where you actually believe that you can do it. If if you if you have a goal, and I wouldn't even say it's a goal if you don't believe it. It's yeah. just you thinking, you know. But you have to believe it and and truly believe it and be willing to act it out. Um, yeah. The one thing I always say is you have to be willing to fail. You yeah. know, nowadays people are so afraid to fail and especially to fail in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's the most courageous thing you could ever do is yeah. fail in front of people and not be broken. Yeah. And you find out, oh, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm alive. Okay. Let's do it again. Yeah. But you got to do that. That first one's the hardest. You got to right? get the first one out the way. Do you have a first one for you? My first one would have to be... Um, competing and I didn't win mm -hmm. and I just knew I was going to win Yeah, and I didn't win and I failed in front of the world and I said okay so life's not over uh-huh okay I can go back to the drawing board let's figure this out you yeah. know people think that life's going to be over when you fail at something and then you realize you wake up the next day 
Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just a day and it's over. And I tell people all the time, nobody, nobody cares about what happened yesterday. They're on to the next day. So when people get uh -huh. so stuck in what happened the day before, nobody cares anymore. Yeah. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> That's like even when, when you're partying a little hard and you don't remember exactly what happened. Yeah. And the next day, nobody <laughs> no. cares. Nobody even remembers. <laughs> you, pro you probably haven't ever experienced this, but I remember uh, like different times, like, I mean, like, all right, I'm going to start lifting again. I haven't done it for a long time. I'm going to do it. But then I'm always like, oh, all these guys here, whenever I go to the gym, they're all so buff. They're lifting so much weight. They're going to be looking over at me, lifting a little bit. And then I remember one time having this realization. I was like, oh, no, they're only looking in the mirrors. Mm -hmm. They don't care <laughs> like about the literal you. literal mirrors. They're only they're looking. They're not paying. No they attention to you. Not even a little bit. It's all about them. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But I imagine when you walk into a weight room, people are like, yeah, she's strong. You know what? I have my headphones on. Yeah. I don't. I'm not that person that looks around to see what other people are doing. The uh -huh. fact that you're in the gym, you've already won. Right, yeah. So now, worry about you. People yeah. are so worried about what other people think. And that's one of my big things. I always say, so what? <laughs> what bill are they paying of yours? Because if you want to start paying my bills, then I'm going to worry about what you think about me. Until then, you can keep all your comments. I don't care. That's a good mom voice. Yeah. <laughs> what bills are they paying? What bills are they paying? So, I got a whole lot you could pay. <laughs> so... Uh, so, like, one of the things that always stuck with you is, like, just kind of that um, base level of confidence, which I think you exude, which is awesome and, like, inspirational to a lot of people, I think. Did, was that evident when you, like, your argument? When I was stuff? a kid, I was always pretty confident. I was. Yeah. It's just something that um, I just grew up with. One thing I can say that my family would do, and maybe that's why I'm not afraid to speak in front of a people, I'm not afraid to be in front of a crowd. Mm -hmm. We used to have to put on plays yeah, and for Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter. And pretty, for the family? For the family. Yeah. And so you would go in the room, find clothes, you know, <laughs> and we would put together a play, and these, these are your lines, and these are your lines. And it would be about 10 or 12 of my cousins. And I believe that's what really helped me to be extremely confident yeah. because we put plays on within an hour and did them. Yeah. And once again, that being fearless. Yeah. You know, um, I've, I learned it as a child, just being fearless. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and say that I've never been afraid. I'll be right. lying right. If, if I've said that. But what I have learned as growing up is nobody has to know you're afraid. Yeah. You know, just because you're scared and worried, they don't need to know it. Yeah. I've been scared, nervous at several places and several events, but I'm not going to show it. Yeah. You know, you got to have a poker face. Yeah. And I'm not going to show you my hand. Even if I am terrified, you'll yeah. never know it. Yeah. <laughs> I say it for myself that, like, um, I'll often do, th do things that require, like, courage and risk or something, but I'm not someone that's fearless by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm full of fear, but still do it mm -hmm. anyway. <laughs> exactly. You'll get it done. You'll figure it out. And usually after the first 30 seconds, you're like, okay, I'm okay. I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. That's like even when I do motivational speaking and it's thousands of people in the room, as I'm sitting there and they're reading off my bio, my heart starts beating. Yeah. Really fast. It do you feel like you want to be somewhere fails. else? And I'm like, oh, gosh. I love, I love doing anything except for the five minutes before. I'm like, I, want, I just want to go home. Right. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Home. Why am I getting nervous? Why am I getting nervous? And, and I believe when I do get nervous, mostly because when you're standing up there, your goal is to help someone. Yeah. Your goal, your purpose is for somebody to leave that room feeling a little bit stronger, feeling a little more confident. Yeah. And I feel like when I get nervous, it's not because I don't know what I'm doing. It's because I want to make sure I say the right thing to get you to listen. Yeah. Yeah. So when you speak, do you have, I feel like you could do it, you could do it extemporaneously for as long as you wanted. Do you do that or do you have it all? Well, around? it matters the 
what they want me to talk about. Yeah. I never have a written speech. I yeah. think written speeches are very, it doesn't come from that place that's going to help someone with something that they're going through. Because yeah. you have to look at a room yeah. and know what that group needs from you. You got to read it. And you have to read it. Yeah. And if the speech is just scripted, oh yeah, you're, you're probably going over somebody's head because that wasn't the speech that they needed. Yeah. So I really observe who I'm speaking to. Uh -huh. I look through the crowd and then I go. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So we go back. So you start playing like organized sports in sixth grade and stuff. And then um, did you, like, were you just already better or were you like, and I think actually you had said before, like you're playing with boys a lot. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and like, so is there, like, do you have a moment in there where you're like, oh, I think I've got something here or is it? I just played everything. I was a tomboy. Yeah. And I was rough. I was tough. I wasn't afraid. Um, so playing basketball, I knew I was good there, but then I was better at track. So yeah. you always just have to figure out what you're better at. Yeah. Uh, we're all good at something. Yeah. And you just need to know good and better is two totally different things, you know, yeah. good and great. And I was great at track, but I was good at basketball. So I had to yeah. go with what I loved more. Yeah. And that was track. So did you, did you play basketball through high school? No, I didn't. Yeah. I only played my freshman year. Yeah. And then the basketball coach said, you know, you need to go out for the track team. Yeah. And so I went out for the track team my freshman year and I never played basketball again. Yeah. Not um, I played at home, but I never played for the school. So you start track and then are you I don't know how it works. California, bigger school, I assume. Like, are you able to run like varsity right away? Or are you on? Yes, team? I ran varsity my freshman year. Yeah, which was really exciting. Probably yeah. more exciting for my dad because yeah. he comes from that era where Letterman jackets was life. Yeah, yeah. You know, so when I got my letter, <laughs> he was like, "Oh, we gotta get your jacket. What you gonna put on it?" You know, he was so excited about that. Um, and I think I was more excited that he was extremely excited. Yeah. And then I just knew. I said, "Okay, what well, track is it?" Yeah. It sounds like uh, like family was a big deal. Oh, really. family's still a big deal. Yeah. Family's always important. Um, I just grew up in family. You know, I always yeah. tell people our family's kind of like the movie Soul Food, yeah. where we find somebody's house to go and eat at and everybody brings stuff. Yeah. So family was very important. And it's it just things that my dad always instilled in us was family, take care of your brother, love your brother. If y'all go out, make sure don't nothing happen to your brother. Yeah. You know, it's just, we. that's always was us. Even with my yeah. older brother, if something wasn't right, now I'll be calling him, you know. And um, one thing I, my dad used to always say is, you don't ever have to fight no man. You got a, two brothers and a daddy and a bunch <laughs> of uncles, you know. Um, so that's just, that's just the family that I grew up in. It's yeah. just a call your dad, call your brother. Seems like it probably made a difference for you, like in terms of like encouragement. It did. It did. Knowing that I had my own soldiers. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a good way to put it. So, so your freshman year, you're running track. How are you doing? How are you doing competitively, like freshman year on varsity? I'm doing amazing. I'm doing so good that I got a little big headed and stopped really paying attention to classwork. Yeah. You know where track was life. Yeah. But track can't be life if you're not passing classes, <laughs> you know? So I just yeah. I just didn't put my energy in where it should have gone. You know, I went yeah. to a private school. My parents were paying 300 something dollars a month for me to go to school. And we yeah. weren't well off like that, but my dad wanted us to have great education. Uh -huh. And I could have went to a public school the way my grades were looking, yeah. you know? It <laughs> just, matter. I just didn't take it serious. Yeah. And, um, and it hurt me and a lot when it got time to you know, get recruited. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't do well on the SAT. Um, school just wasn't first. And yeah. so when I'm speaking to athletes now, that's what the number one thing I talk about is being athletic is great. But when those numbers aren't coming back like they should, yeah. schools are not going to bet on you for four years. Right. 
So you'll lose out, you'll miss out. And I preach that constantly, like running fast is great, but they'll take a slower person that has a great GPA because they know they can make it in college. Yeah. Yeah. So then, so then you're, you're, you got all these, I'm sure you got great times and stuff, but was recruitment kind of lighter then in that regard? Um, well, my times were good, but they weren't even great. Yeah. Living in California, there were a lot of fast girls who yeah. were going to state and I never made it to state. Yeah. I never made it to those big That's meets nuts. that people say you have to go to in order to be great. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of the young ladies that made it to all of those meets were probably looking at me like, how did she become the fastest woman alive? Yeah. Because a lot of them got burned out and didn't even run well in college. And they peaked. At and they peaked. So yeah. when, when people ask me or when they say, oh, I got the six year old, she's going to be the fastest ever. And I'm thinking to myself. she's six. Right. Like, come on, people. I just, I'm not a fan of parents that push young kids too much in sports. Yeah. I'm not a fan of a six or seven year old being on a strict diet for (laughs) their sport. I'm like, she's six. She needs to be eating a chili cheese dog and it needs to be running from her Jersey. Yeah. You know, um, she needs to have a, snow cone in her hand like I just I'm a I'm just a believer of kids being kids and enjoying themselves and having fun so a lot of parents argue with me because I don't give them the answers that they want when they ask me about eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds and I'm like okay (laughs) maybe I'm like I don't know what and I tell them off back I say well you're not gonna like this answer but I'm gonna give it to you yeah. You know, because I just I just don't believe kids should be yeah. training like professionals at eight years old. Like they'll yeah. never be eight again. Yeah. Right. Let you know, them, the, those eight. years will be gone. Why are you trying to steal steal their joy? I was thinking just uh, the other day, you know, like I was talking about, like with my kids talking about getting them involved or whatever. And, you know, there's traveling baseball and traveling basketball and all this stuff. <clears throat> and uh but only a few of those athletes are elite enough to get a scholarship of any kind. That like, probably the result is that like, call I bet college intramurals are really good now compared to what they used to be. Right. <laughs> but that's what you get. That's the extent of it. So uh, okay. So then, what was the name of the, the college you went to again? Sorry. I went to Cal State Dominguez Hills, which is a it was a small Division two school with yeah. a small women's program, which is <clears throat> kind of ironic that I'm here at Missouri State University, yeah. which is an all women's program, yeah. a small program. Uh-huh. So it just fits, you know. I know, you know, what you have to do to build a small program up, and a lot of it is just bringing in girls that are confident. Oh, yeah. And maybe haven't reached their potential yet. That haven't reached their potential yet. I, I yeah. go after, like you say, the diamonds in the rough. Mm-hmm. I go after the baby Carmelitas. I go yeah. after the girls that maybe didn't have the right coach, maybe mm-hmm. have all the talent in the world, but the coach spent more time with the faster girl. I go oh, yeah. after all of those girls that still haven't shown the world how good they are. Yeah. And are you recruiting? You're doing more than sprinters, I imagine. You're doing like distance runners? No. Distance no. runners is Coach Jordan Fife. Okay. I do sprinters and hurdlers. Okay. okay. So that's my thing. Only sprinters and hurdlers is who I recruit. Um, but when distance runners come into the office, they do sit down and talk to me yeah. as well because I am the associate head coach at Missouri State now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I also give my two cents if I think the athlete is a good fit. Yeah. For the program. Yeah. And being that I'm the only female on staff, I also just want all the girls, regardless if I train them or not, to know that they can come into my office and talk to me yeah. if they need help. Yeah, that seems important. Mm-hmm. So uh, so then you're in college. Like, is it is it starting to come together at that point? Like, are you getting closer to your potential then? Are your, are your times getting better? How, what's that look like? My for? times are getting better in college, but guess what? I was a real college person. <laughs> and that means that I had way too much fun yeah. in college. <laughs> and I have stories and memories. And one thing I always tell people is I feel sorry for anyone that went to college for four years and they don't have any memories. 
Yeah. That means you let all of those amazing years go by without having fun, without yeah. enjoying yourself. You can probably say I had too much fun in college. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just a little bit. <laughs> so I would get injured a lot because I would pull my hamstring because I'd be dehydrated or yeah. maybe went out the night before. And I just didn't, I wasn't even 100% all about track and field. And you have yeah. to think, wow, if I could have been more 100% about track and field in college, I could have done so many better things, but yeah. I still did great things. I was NCAA Athlete of the Year, CCAA Athlete of the Year. I had all these accolades, and I partied like a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And they're so, like, you've reached the pinnacle, and you're like, yeah, but I could be better. I could have been better. One yeah. thing, even with my athletes, I tell them, I say, you know, I don't condone, you know, you going and hanging out when we have to compete. Yeah. But I tell them when we have a break, go enjoy yourself. Yeah. Go hang out with your friends, go to the pool, go do something that's not related to track and field because yeah. I need your mind to relax. That's great. If you're always stressed out and stuck in one lane, you will never perform well. Yeah. So I tell them when this summer I gave them workouts, but I say, go have fun. Yeah. You're, you're only doing these workouts so you can stay in shape. Yeah. And you don't gain, you know, because you go home, you gain a little summer weight, yeah, you know. Right. So I gave them certain workouts just to, you know, stay fit. But yeah. I said, go have fun. Go yeah. enjoy yourself. Go have a good time. I'm not that coach that wants to put you in this box for four years and you end up hating me. No, yeah. that sucks. Right. I want you to have some amazing years in college. I want you to tell stories when you're yeah. sitting around the table. Yeah. So you get done, you get done with college and you are you like, well, that was great. When I was done with college, I knew that I still had the potential to do amazing things. Yeah. Um, so I tried again. I went out for the police department. The, the head detective woman told me, when I talk about track and field, I light up. When I talk about track and field, I glow. So she couldn't hire me. She couldn't put me into the academy. And I was a little upset. But what I tell people now is certain doors are supposed to close for certain reasons. Mm -hmm. Many times a door closes and someone's devastated and they think their life is over. But it just wasn't you weren't supposed to go through that door. Yeah. And I wouldn't be the fastest woman alive. I wouldn't be here coaching at Missouri State. I wouldn't have Olympic medals if I was a police officer. Yeah. So that door was closed on me for a reason, for a purpose. Yeah. And the next door that I opened, I ended up making my first team in 2007, getting my first medal. And that started it was my like a career. World championship team. It was a world championship yeah. team. So I'm actually very grateful that yeah. she saw something in me that I quite didn't see in myself. And I, I even tell my athletes, yeah. I said, my job is to find something in you that you haven't seen yet. Yeah. Do you, do you has that uh, woman followed your career? Uh, no, I, I wish I could find her. I wish yeah. I could thank her. Yeah. I have, and we've tried to look for her. I have no way to, yeah. to and I don't have the paperwork anymore. I threw yeah. it away. So I wish I could really thank this detective woman. It was three of them, actually. Yeah. And just tell her how much I appreciate yeah. her for taking a chance to say no to me. Yeah. Many times people um, don't want to say no to people because they're worried about what the outcome could be. Yes. And she said no to me, and it actually turned out to be a really good outcome. Yeah, absolutely. All right, it is time for a mid-show sponsor break. Welcome to the mid-show sponsor break, everybody. It is brought to you by the E-Factory, who works with entrepreneurs, business leaders, startups, and creators to help make Springfield, Missouri the best place in America to start a business. So whether your company is still just a dream, or you are in the thick of starting and growing your venture, or you are interested in meeting the people behind Springfield's amazing small businesses, the E-Factory is where you want to be. When you're ready to make something, they're ready to help. Also, brought to you by Old Missouri Bank. Old Missouri Bank is always there to help you make something right here in Springfield. It's your locally owned community bank 
for futures made brighter and banking made better. Visit oldmissouribank.com for more information about how we can help you go for it from right here. All right, let's get back to Carmelita Cheddar. Um, okay, so then you're on the 2007 World Championship team. Are you, uh, are you in a relay then, or are you... I'm in an individual 100 meters, and I'm on the relay. Okay. So I, I got bronze in the 100, and then I got gold in the 4 by one But the funny story about that is this was my first team, so they said that they didn't want to run me in the final because they were worried that I wasn't going to perform well. Okay. And I was very upset about it, and yeah. I said this to the coach, Amy Dean. She's actually the head coach at University of Miami, and she's a mentor of mine. Um, I, I love watching her do amazing things. And I told her, I said, since you didn't put me on this final, you're going to need me. <laughs> I said, from now on, after this world championship, you're going to need me for every relay. <laughs> and I'm sure she probably looked at me like, oh, who does she think she is? Yeah. But that was my aha moment. And that was the moment where I said, you're going to dominate because they played you. You're going to make them need you. I'm going to make them need me. And it got to the point where you couldn't have a relay without having me. Yeah. And just like just with life, you know, you got to show people better than you can tell them sometimes. And if they deny you something, but you know that you were supposed to be there, show them. Yeah. And you have some other story. I don't know where it is in your timeline where you said you bet on yourself. I bet on myself all day. What was that story? 2007, I didn't sign my contract because I knew I could get more money. And this contract is with who? Nike. Nike, okay. I knew I was worth more and I knew I wanted more. And I bet on myself. And when I tell people, when you're betting on yourself, you have to be willing to lose. Yeah. You can't bet and still be worried about losing. Yeah. You have to know that you're gonna win. Yeah. And if it doesn't plan out the way you wanted it to, you have to be okay with that. Because you went for it. Because you went for it. Um, Yeah. A lot of times in my career, I bet on myself, I went for it, and I turned out to do some amazing things by doing that. Yeah. People always ask me, what would you change in your career are growing up? Absolutely nothing. I wouldn't yeah. change anything. I love the fact that I went to a division two school. I love the fact that I tried to join the police department first and it didn't work. I love the fact that I earned everything that I have. Yeah. So I wouldn't change nothing. Everything yeah. set me up for a certain purpose. So now with me coaching, I wasn't always the fastest woman alive. So. I know how you feel. Right. People forget that. Like, I know how it feels not to be the fast girl. Yeah. I know how it feels to work for it. So I, I definitely feel that's one of the things that's going to make me an extraordinary coach is because I know the best of both worlds. Yeah, right. You didn't start. You didn't. At 19, you weren't Right, exactly. Ready. I wasn't this phenom. I had to work for it. I didn't yeah. get my first Olympic Games or my medals until I was 32. Yeah, which is just incredible. So then are you, are you on the team in 2008? No, I missed no. the team in 2008, and um, that hurt. But everything happens for a reason. You should have a bad trial. Is that what happened? Yeah, I just didn't train like I should have. I hung yeah. out a little too much. It yeah. was my fault, you know, yeah. and that's what I tell people, even my athletes. You got to take accountability. Yeah. Whose fault was it? You know, people are so quick to blame. Oh, well, if he would have, if she would have, nah, what you didn't do. Right. I took accountability. I didn't handle my business. I changed everything around and boom, I came back. I dominated. I ran the second fastest time ever by a woman, went to 2012 Olympics and had an amazing showing. So we have to be willing to take accountability for things. Yeah. So if that, that scenario happens, you don't make the team and you're like, it's because of this or this. You probably don't make the team in 2012 because you have a, your mindset is right. You got to change your mindset. Else's. You have to change your mindset. You got to change the people around you. Yeah. You got to change. You know, negativity can't live where you want positivity to be. Yeah. 
So when people are feeding you negativity, you're eating that. And yeah. with anything, you eat too much, you're gonna get full. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you, I, so, I on um, <clears throat> one level, a, totally agree and inspired by what you're saying. And on another level, I'm just so super hard on myself. What do you say to people like that, like, in, like have to change that internally? Like, do you have tricks or tips? I don't even have tricks or tips because I'm hard on myself also. Yeah. I set goals and I want them right away and right now. And yeah. I'm, I'm hard on myself as well. But at the same time, I congratulate myself, too, when things go well. Yeah. Um, many times people don't celebrate the small things. They're just waiting for that big thing to happen. Yeah. And then you're hard on yourself because the big thing didn't happen yet. But you didn't even give yourself a pat on the back for that little small yeah. thing that you did. Yeah. So the, the number one thing I always tell people is you got to pat yourself on the back for the little things, too. Yeah. Because it's not always about the big things. You can't get there until you knock off all these little ones. Yeah. So, so then you, so you got bronze in the world championships in the hundred, was that what it was? Yes. 2007. And then 2008, you don't make the trials or you, you, you don't make the team. What's that like to then watch the Olympics or could you watch? I watched it. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard to watch, but not because I was jealous. It was because I was upset with myself. Yeah. You know, that's why it was hard to watch because I, kn I knew I should have been there. Yeah. So, you then know. Then you got to wait. Hmm? Then you have to wait. Then you got to wait four years. You got to wait four more years. But then it also just determines how serious you are. Yeah. So Do you, you really it. want it? Yeah. Do you think you needed it then? I did. I yeah. did. I, need a rea I needed a reality check. Yeah. I did. A Many times we all need a little reality check to put us back into perspective. Yeah. Okay. So then, so I think whenever... Those of us who aren't Olympic athletes, watch the Olympics. We're always like, you've trained your whole lives. You've trained specifically the last four years for this moment. So then you're at the Olympic trials for the 2012 Olympics. You hadn't made it uh, 2008. And you're at the line, ready to go. Is there nothing in your mind at that point? Or is it just go? It's or just are you go. Thinking? It's just go. <clears throat> if you're worried, you already lost. Yeah. That means because this, you're doubting yourself. Yeah. Then that doubt just lives there. There's yeah. no thinking. You need to execute and you need to go. Yes, you're training for 10 seconds. You're training four years for 10 seconds. Yeah. And, it's, and, and, and for people that don't make the podium, I'm sure it's very hurtful, especially yeah. if you've put so much in. And that's why some athletes still chase that moment when they should probably retire years yeah. ago yeah. because they're still chasing a dream um, that they never really succeeded in. But my thought was being an Olympian is already a major praise. It's already yeah. an amazing thing. Of course, everybody wants to get on the podium, but it doesn't work that way. Only three people go. Right. And it some happen for you and some don't. And yeah. being an Olympian, is it just means a lot. So when... When people make the team, they need to take that and Ooh. know that they already did something that millions of people wish they could have done. Right, right. So, uh, okay, well, what about, okay, the night before? Are you sleeping the night before? I mean, of course you're, you're stressed. Of yeah, course yeah. you're tossing and turning. That's with anything. That's like what somebody has a paper they have to turn in. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. if you have an interview the next day for a job that you really want, like yeah. you're, you're worried, you're tossing and turning. But yeah. when you get in that seat and that person's asking you those questions, guess what? You boss up. Yeah. So how many alarms do you set when you're going to sleep the night before the Olympics? You, you don't because you can hardly, <laughs> you hardly sleep anyway. Yeah. So you're waking up every, am I up? Am I, it's time? Is it time? Is it time? <laughs> and most of the races are at night. Yeah. So um, it's 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 like with anything that's important to you. Yeah. The night before, you're tossing and turning. Yeah. You're 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 worried. And if you're if you say you're not worried about one of the biggest moments in your life, then I want to drug test you. Yeah, because right. <laughs> how are you so confident? You know, it's just yeah. you, you should be you should be worried. 
Yeah. Everybody should be worried going into something that could possibly change their life, like an interview, right. having a baby the next day where maybe your wife is getting a C-section. Yeah. You're worried. Right, right, right. You know, it's, that's life. Yeah. <laughs> so how much time is there between the trials and the Olympics? Um, it's about 12 weeks. T- okay. 10 weeks, something like that. Yeah. It's a short period of time. Yeah. So, um, so then at the Olympics... I don't know the order of things. Like, what event are you running first? You're always running um, like a hundred or whatever your event is. So it yeah. just matters what your event is. So yeah, yeah. I ran the hundred before the two hundred. Yeah. And then I ran the relay at the end. So it just yeah. determines what your event is, which yeah. determines what you do first. And so, how'd you do in the hundred? I took second yes, in the hundred, and I took third in the two hundred, and then as a team, we took. First in the four by one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you set a world record on that one? We set a world record. We broke a twenty-seven-year-old world record. Twenty-seven. Yeah. So that was that was the highlight of the twenty twelve Olympic Games. Yeah. And is this? Um, did you anchor it? Yes, I did. And is this the one where you point like That's almost before pointed, you cross yes. the finish line? Mm-hmm. I did. <laughs> Pointing at the at the time. Pointing at the time. <laughs> it's it's a moment. It's it's you know people ask, did I plan that? No, I didn't. It yeah. just, that's what I felt like doing at the time. That's you, why but I it was did. before you crossed, is that It right? was before I crossed, because <laughs> I could see that it was a world record already. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Um, and that's all about the exchanges. It's, it's not even all about the exchanges. It's all about the trust. Yeah. You know, Team USA has had several teams where they've had really fast athletes together and they could never break the world record. So it's yeah. not about exchanges, it's not about the four fastest people. It's about four people that actually trust each other. So yeah. yes, exchanges are important, but when you trust the person that's bringing you the stick, it makes everything flow better. Yeah, so then do you have to get like really tight with them? Is that like? It's not that you have to get tight. Everybody has to accept their role. Yeah and know what their role is and be willing to leave everything on the track. Yeah, yeah. So, um, like does that, it, at, at the Olympics 2012, does it feel like a dream come true? Or does, is there a moment where, it, you, or is there a moment where you, um, like you get hit with gratitude or does it not hit you until later or? No, it hit me when we crossed the finish line in that four by one. Because that was the last event, you can let all your emotions out. Yeah. You know, you can let it all out. You can cry. You can do all of that. And the relay is really what hit. And and more so because we brought the world record back to the U.S., but because we took four women that competed against each other all the time. We uh-huh. weren't best friends. Yeah. And we we made a bond with each other that can never be broken. Yeah, yeah. So then, uh, so then you make the turn into coaching. Is later your, on, later yeah. on, a couple of years later, I made the turn into coaching, and it wasn't that I wanted to make the turn into coaching. People would kept kept asking me, "Hey, Jack, can you help me with this? Can you help me with my start? Can you help yeah. me put this together?" And I really fought being a coach. Like, I didn't want really? to do it. I was like, oh, okay, I'll help you. And yeah. then I started to love it. Yeah. And then I said, oh, wow, I'm about to be a coach. You know, because <laughs> oh, no. it wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. But then, you know, they say your calling calls you yeah. and you have to answer. Yeah. And I love coaching. I love motivating the next generation. I love feeding someone. Um, everything that they need to get the job done. It's yeah. very fulfilling um, being a coach. Um, you know, some coaches don't coach for the right reasons, which is unfortunate. But then you have some amazing coaches that coach for all the right reasons, and you can see it when their athletes line up. Yeah, yeah. So what's your what's your goal? You want to be a head coach eventually, I imagine? Of course. Right now I'm associate head at Missouri State University. And this will be my second year there. Of course, I want to to steer my own boat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that is definitely the plan to build build my own program. But right now, I'm I'm loving building, helping build the program of Missouri State with Coach Jordan Fife 
and Jake Bryson. Um, and I'm learning also yeah. the things that I need. You know, I always tell people, you can't always go and just be the president at first. Right. You know, you might need to start talking with the people in the mailroom first just yeah. so you can see how the how the companies run. Yeah. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm learning yeah. and I'm paying attention. The number one thing I didn't want to do is become a head coach and fail. Yeah. You know, because I jumped in it too fast and I didn't learn all the little things that I needed to learn. Just like NCA compliance. Right. So like, right oh, now awesome. I'm learning everything. I'm paying attention. I'm staying focused. And it's it's um, so when I do get there, I can stay there. Yeah, you'll be ready. Mm -hmm. So and you're getting your master's right now? Yes, I am getting my master's. I graduated in May of 2020. Yeah. So I did it pretty fast. Yeah. Um, because I've only been here a year, and this will be <laughs> my second year, and I'll be graduating my second year. So I'm very excited about that. Um, one thing that, um, you know, being a, a coach and being a female coach, there's not a lot of female coaches, you know, yeah. in sport, period. Right. And especially not a lot of female coaches coaching female runners. And so um, knowing what they look for with head coaches, with having a master's and doing all of these things, uh -huh. I wanted to get my checklist official. Yeah. And I wanted my resume to be on point. So when I get there, I can help bring other women up. Yeah, that's awesome. And what's your master's? What, what's Professional studies, sports management. Okay, yeah, mm -hmm. perfect. So then, um, so we'll wrap up here. So uh, you, uh, you love being motivating and like just your story is motivating. What, um, what's kind of your what message are you passionate about to get out to people, to, to your athletes or when you're speaking? Like, what is that kind of the heart of what you're wanting? My number one passion that I love to get out and it's a phrase that I say at practice is brick by brick. Yeah. Nothing's built overnight. Yeah. Not you, not me, not this building, not a car. Nothing's built overnight. And many times people put this like, rush on what they want to do yeah. but just like a building you got to start with a strong foundation yeah and build it up and then put your windows in then your doors and then you'll see people walking in and out of the building and you're thinking to yourself wow that building got thrown up there really fast no it didn't it took time you're just yeah. paying attention now yeah excuse me so my number one thing is don't rush the process yeah build your building from the ground up with foundation just like the little Red Riding Hood, huff and puff and blow your house down. Oh, yeah, three little pigs. Yeah, yeah three little pigs. And you don't want somebody to be able to come and blow your house down. Yeah, yeah. And probably the, uh, the, big, the bigger the building, the more bricks it's going to take. Exactly. So yeah. don't, don't be afraid to build it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thanks for joining me. Thank Again. you. <laughs> I appreciate Thank you. it. You're welcome. There she was, everyone. Carmelita Jetter. She is just made of confidence and inspiration, <laughs> isn't she? You know, because to, to be an Olympic athlete, you have to have some well of confidence that's rare. And uh, so talking to her, I'm just like, All right, let's go do something. So if you'd like to learn more about Carmelita, just go to carmelitajetter.com. Make something where you are. Is audio engineer is Colton Jackson. Also, podcast music provided by Darren King. This is Jeff Houghton in the Make Something City, Springfield, Missouri, reminding you that you can make something where you are. <laughs> <laughs>